Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 16. Continuing our series on responsibility of the righteous, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. When we began this study, we talked about the armor, which indicates the attributes that we must possess if we're going to defend ourselves, Because living for God is a battle. Every day is a battle. Remember this, and I said it, I think, last week. There is a difference between rest and relaxing. Now, Jesus is our rest. Remember me preaching about that? It's no longer confined to a day, but it's, it's in a relationship with God that we find that rest. But Jesus rested, but he didn't relax, because relax indicates you're going to let your guard down. Jesus never let his guard down. He rested. Okay? And there are times in this battle that we have to be refreshed. We have to have rest. Remember remember this. This is why I believe you should take time to retreat. Get away with your family. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. That's why when you get away, and you back up from the situation, you changed your place, you changed your pace. Because you did those two things, your perspective is going to change. That's why you're, you're burnt out at work, and you go on a vacation, and you're, by, the, by the end of six days, you're like, all right, I'm ready to get back. I can do this thing. It's because you rested. You rested. We are in a battle. Every day is a battle. It's, 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 it's a spiritual battle. Now, we know that we win. It's not about who wins. It's about who endures to the end. There's nothing you can do to, quote, unquote, win the battle. It was won at Calvary. We don't have to win it. We just have to keep fighting through it until we get to the other side, which is our victory. So we have to possess this armor, these attributes. I preached about the loins girt with truth, which indicate honesty in the private areas of our life. The breastplate of righteousness, which indicates a heart of righteousness. Our feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, which indicates that we must act with the authority given to impart peace into situations and into people. We have that authority to bring peace, to speak peace, to invoke peace into people's life. But watch what Paul says in Ephesians 6.16. He says two words, above all, which indicates what I'm fixing to tell you is most important. Above everything that I've already said, you must possess the shield of faith. 
Because you can have a righteous heart, you can have truth in your inner parts, and you can have a a willingness to impart peace. But if you don't have faith, then all that doesn't matter. You've got to have faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith. So to speak of faith, I begin to think about the origin of faith. And we naturally go back to Abraham, who is the patriarch. He's got the title of the patriarch of faith. In Genesis 15 and 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them, And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now this is before the element of faith was introduced because faith came into the picture in the New Testament church. Under the Old Testament, this was under the dispensation of conscience. But he said, You know what? You gave me a word. You told me you're going to be my shield. You told me that you're going to provide and that you're going to make my seed as the stars of the sky. So I'm going to believe in what you said. What is faith? Faith is believing in what God said in its purest form. He said God said that he would be his shield. In the Hebrew, it's the word meganal, which means a protector. Little did Abraham know what he was in for as he took his journey into the unknown. So he said, God, give me a sign that you're going to do what you said you would do. And he said, I'm going to give you a child. In fact, I'm going to give you so much seed that it's going to be more numerous than all the stars in the sky. And Abraham said, you know what? I have no reference point to base my faith off of other than I got a word from God and that's good enough for me. My friend, you ought to stand today on the fact that if God said that he was going to be your protector, he's going to be your protector. If he said he's going to be your healer, he's going to be your healer. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He will always honor his word. So we step into the New Testament, realizing that the God of the old is the Jesus in the new. He was the shield for Abraham, and he is still our shield. The shield of faith. It's indicative of us believing that God will do what he said he would do. Now, there's four types of faith I want to preach about tonight. First, there's saving faith. Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the Bible says it's given unto every man the measure of faith. So humanity will believe in something. You say, what about people that they're atheists or they're exercising their faith? They're believing in the absence of God. So they're still using their faith, but they're just not using it in the right direction. Everybody has the ability to believe in something. We're here tonight because we believe in God. We believe that one day God convicted us of our sin. We repented of our sin. We received the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. We were buried with Him in baptism, taking on the blood in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are walking with Him by faith. Faith, if you don't exercise that faith, you cannot be saved. And it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that first he is, and that secondly, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. So here's how you exercise your faith. Number one, you believe that he is. And then you believe if I step out and obey God, that God is going to honor his word and he's going to, not going to leave me hanging. And because you did that, God honored his word. So we all have that dimension of saving faith. Second dimension is fruit faith. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. If you study out this word faith as one of the fruit of the Spirit, it's actually talking about being faithful. Faithful to your family. Faithful to God. Faithful to the house of God. Another word is steadfast. Just consistent. Not going anywhere. Faithful. Faithful. Some people are like roller coasters. You never know if you're going to catch them up. Are you going to catch them down? Are you going to catch them going crazy? That's just, you just never know. It's the toss of a coin. But God's looking for just consistent, faithful, steadfast. That kind of faith, that's a fruit of the Spirit. You've heard me say this many, many times, and I'll say it, I'll say it many, many more times. God is more worried about your fruit than he is your gifts. Because gifts do not indicate you're like him. Fruit indicates you're like him. So this is what, he, what the Bible says. That if you're going to be his disciple, you're going to bear fruit. And your fruit will remain. When Jesus went by the fig tree, the Bible says that the time of figs was not yet. What in fig season? And Jesus knew that. But it was, a, it was a, an allegory in the spirit. It was a parallel. He cursed the fig tree because it wasn't putting forth fruit, even though he knew it wasn't the season. The Bible says that we should bear fruit and our fruit should remain which means God's wanting us to bear fruit 
all the time. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when we feel like it. But he's wanting us to love when we don't feel like loving. When it's not the season to love, there has to be the fruit of love. When it's not the season to forgive, there has to be the fruit of forgiveness. When it's not the season to be long-suffering and we don't feel like it, there has to be the fruit of long-suffering and meekness and etc. So that faith, that faithfulness is the second dimension. Then there is the gift of faith. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and on it goes and lists the rest of them. So faith is, is, is one of the power gifts. There are people that operate in the gift of faith. Brother Talbert operates in the gift of faith. That goes beyond saving faith. It goes beyond the fruit of faith or faithfulness. It's a supernatural gift that a person operates in. I've seen people get prayed for by everybody under the sun and not get healed. And I see, I've seen one person that was using the gift of faith, pray for them, and instantly they were healed. It's not that God changed. It's that they operated in a power dimension. Brother Billy Cole, I have literally watched him call people up on the platform, just pick somebody. They come up. He says, what is wrong? They tell him what's wrong. He said, I'm going to show everybody here how to pray for him. He prays a prayer of faith, and instantly God heals him. Because he operated in the gift of faith. It's, 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 not, it's not that it, anything with the individual, it was the gift of faith. There is a minister, I'm not going to name his name. You're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you this. You will think I'm crazy. Okay. Just preface this. Well, I'll say his name. I don't care. It's common knowledge. Brother T.W. Barnes, who's a prophet of God, operated in the gift of faith. Mightily, mightily. How many has heard of Brother T.W. Barnes? Okay. You ready this? Buckle up. Buckle up what I'm fixing to tell you because you're going to look at me like I got egg all on my face. He had such a walk with God and such a steadfastness and a faithfulness with the Lord from his own mouth. And I don't think, I have no reason to think he's lying. Every week, he said, Michael, the archangel, came and sat across from him and kept him up to speed on what was happening in Israel and told him exactly what he needed to be praying for. Every week he saw him just like a person sitting across from him, and he told him everything that was happening. Brother Barnes was the, was the watchman of the state. No demons can go in or out of Louisiana without going through Minden, Louisiana, through Brother Barnes. He was faithful to God. Now, that sounds extreme, but it's the truth. There was a woman that came to him and tried to put a curse on him, and he just stared at her. That night, middle of the night, his bed started shaking, started moving. He sat up, put his feet on the floor, and said, Satan, get over here. And Satan showed up. He said, everything that woman tried to do to me, you go do it to her. Satan started to leave. He said, hold it. 
my bed back where it was. And it shook back and got in place. And he said, now leave. That woman called him that morning and said, Brother Barnes, you've got to stop this. I've been tormented all night long. The curse that she sent to him, he sent to her. But he was faithful. He was faithful. So there's the third dimension, the gift of faith. But the fourth one is what Paul was talking about when he was talking about the, the, the armor of God, and that is enduring faith. Revelation 2 and 10 says, For none of those things which thou shalt suffer, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Out of the four types of faith that Paul preached or was speaking about, or, or the Word of God speaks about, I want to preach tonight about enduring faith. Because Paul references faith as a shield. Because in those days, what the enemy would do is light a bunch of darts, a bunch of, bunch of torch things, and they would just start shooting a bunch, as many as they could at the enemy, hoping to set everything on fire. And what they understood was the significance. Those shields were leather, and they would keep them oiled, they would keep them wet, and it would deflect the fiery darts of the wicked. And so Paul said, if you're going to live for God, you've got to have that faith that is constantly ready, constantly cultivated, not dormant, but when the enemy launches an attack in your mind, it's your faith that puts up the shield and says, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to let that come into my spirit. I'm not going to let that come into my home. My faith is going to block that. This is what Isaiah said in, 20, in chapter 21, verse 5. Prepare the table. Watch in the watchtower. Eat, drink. Arise, ye princes, and anoint the shield. Many people believe that that shield had to stay saturated. Historians believe that a, a dry shield would catch on fire. And, and, and that's indicative of our faith. You let that dormant, that faith lay dormant, and you don't cultivate it, then those fiery darts are going to just pierce through, and they're going to they're going to engulf your mind. But let me tell you, every time you go to prayer and you weep tears, you're wetting that shield of faith. You're saying, God, I believe your word. Every time you go to an altar, you're anointing that shield. You're saying, I'm believing the word of God is true. This is what Jude said in chapter 1, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's why it's so important when you pray. You let the Spirit just begin to pray through you. Paul said, Paul said, I'd rather, I'd rather speak in English than 10,000 words in tongues because it's not edifying. But let me put that in context. What Paul was saying is this. There was a problem in that church he was dealing with. All everybody wanted to do was talk in tongues everywhere. You just had everybody talking in tongues. And, and there was no edification. You got to think like this. If, if, if Brother John Doe walks in and he doesn't know anything about God and everybody's just, they just go, what in the world? You know, not everybody knows about Pentecost. 
I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember a guy in our home church. He was just a brawler. I mean, he was a barroom brawler. He loved to fight. He was about that tall, about that wide. And, and, and when he got the Holy Ghost, he put Jesus on his hard hat at work. And I mean, he wanted to tell everybody about God. But he come up, he come up, I remember it was on this aisle. He come up one night and went to prayer, and he would always pray just like this. And there was a guy standing right there. And he went over and he just started, yeah, da, 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 da. and he went, What are you doing? Scared the daylights out of him. He didn't know what in the world was happening. Now, to us, it's common. But somebody that doesn't know anything about what's going on, you just talk about scaring him half to death. He said, Brother, I'm praying in tongues. He went, Not with me. Shut her down. Now, eventually, once he got Bible study, he got, he got the Holy Ghost. Still have the Holy Ghost. Still living for God. But, but he didn't understand that. And what Paul was saying is, there's a place for just letting the liberty of the Spirit flow. You go into your prayer closet, you, that's how you build up your most holy faith, is you just let God pray through you. You don't have to know what you're saying. You weep and you pray. And, and there's a place for that. And, and let me just tell you this. If you go to prayer and it doesn't happen, that day doesn't mean something's wrong. Spirit, tongues is not a spiritual indicator. It's a spiritual edifier. I struggled because it took me so long. It took me seven years to get the Holy Ghost. And I'd go to prayer and I wouldn't talk in tongues. And I'd just, oh, oh my goodness. My goodness. I'm lost. I'm lost. No hope. Because I didn't talk in tongues that day. And, and condemnation will set in. And you'll start beating yourself up. It's not going to happen every time. Now, it can happen every time because it's like a muscle. The more you yield to it, the easier it becomes to do it. That's where you build your faith up. Now, do we talk in tongues in church? Yes, we do. Have we gotten out of order? No, we haven't. But if it gets out of order, that's where I have to pull things back together and say, okay, let's, let's get back in, in line with the book. But you build your faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. There have been times I went to prayer and I had no clue what I was praying for. But that's not, our, God does not need our head. He needs our mouth. If he had to, if he had to use your head, it, it would mean that he needs your logic. And God does not need your logic when He knows way more than you know. He needs the vessel to be used. Why do you think He needed Jesus Christ? He needed His vessel. He needed the blood. But He needed His obedience. And that's what God needs in the Spirit. Now, when you weep, when you pray, you're anointing your shield. The day will come. You mark it down. People will walk away from God because they've lost faith. It's going to happen. As things start getting tighter, the pressures from all around, everything you're seeing in the physical, it's a mirror of the spiritual. The spirits have been released in unprecedented proportions. And this is what the book says, Luke 18 and 8. Nevertheless, 
When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. It's going to get to that point where God's going to come back and am I going to find anybody left that's faithful? That's faithful. So this ties in. I'm, I'm moving very fast. If you'll give me about five to six more minutes, I'm going to wind this thing up. The shield of faith, which is what you believe in, it ties in to the last piece of defense, defensive armor, which is the helmet of salvation. This is what 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And Paul was saying, you know what? It's going to get to a point where everything that can be shaken it's going to be shaken. But he said, be not troubled in your mind or your spirit. Because there's going to be people that say, where is the coming of the Lord? There's going to be mockers. And this is what the book says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Here's, the, here's how you maintain your walk with God. You keep your shield anointed with tears and with the oil of the Holy Ghost. And you keep your mind guarded. Your mind. What do you think the helmet is to protect? Your mind. Because remember I said earlier, when all you see is darkness, it starts messing with your mind. And when you realize, hey, We've been a long time in the dark now. You know that you can start seeing stuff in the dark that's not really there. You can start imagining stuff that's not really there because your mind. You can be out in the middle of nowhere in, in, in the dark and if, you, if you're 30 minutes to an hour walking in pitch black, I promise you, you'll think every animal under the sun is right around you within 50 foot. And there's, no, there's nothing around you. But it's because the darkness is playing with your mind. And so if we're going to live for God, that's why the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, when your mind is not right, you'll start getting offended. You'll start getting jealous. You'll start misunderstanding. That's all a mind issue. See, we want to try to cast out things that are works of the flesh, not works of the spirit world. You can't cast out works of the flesh. You can't cast out somebody that's just bound by, because, by flesh. You bring me somebody that's full of the devil, we can cast that out in five seconds. You bring me somebody full of the flesh, we'll be here for 50 years working with that person. Because we try to cast out Something that's a flesh issue because they didn't get their mind right. You can't help people. Man, I'm getting deep in this thing tonight. You can't help people with perception problems. You go, for instance, my wife showed me a picture of a tennis shoe. 
and the tennis shoe was gray with teal shoestrings. And my daughter looked at it and she said, that's white with pink shoestrings. That is teal. That is gray. We, we just kept arguing. That is gray with teal shoestring. No, it's white with pink shoestring. You know what? Issue never got resolved. Because the issue wasn't the shoe. The issue was what we were looking at. It was right here. There's some issues that aren't the issue. It's right here. You know, there'll be a whole lot, there'll be a whole lot less uh, problems in the kingdom if there was more prayer in the kingdom. Because the only way to fix that is to go to that altar. Now, you don't go to prayer saying, God, I know I'm right. You go to prayer saying, God, I want to be right with you. Which means i got to get my mind put on that altar. Stand with me right now. I know I gave you a lot tonight. But these are things that if we're going to be successful in living for God, musicians, you can come. If we're going to be successful living for God, we have to understand that salvation is a process. Let me end with this scripture. Philippians says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought him not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only way that he could ever be exalted was he had the mind that said the only way I can please God is I've got to continually put myself on the cross. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That helmet is indicative of a mind that is like Christ. And if you're going to have a mind, you have to first make yourself of no reputation. Can't worry what people think about you. Doesn't matter. Secondly, there has to be a willingness to be obedient unto death and constantly put that flesh on the altar. Amen. I want us, if you would,